Hello, everyone. Welcome to Landing 2022. This is Art and Market's third annual conference following Pivot in 2020 and Landing 2021. My name is Vivian Yeo, and I am content producer at Art and Market. Landing continues the conversations from our annual publication, Check-In. The title Landing signifies arrival following flight, but it is also the level area between two flights of stairs where we take a pause to consider how far we have come and how we are going to move forward. As we adapt to the new normal, moving out of the valley of the COVID-19 pandemic, how have art practitioners persevered and continued to innovate? The conference celebrates the community's diversities, determination and experimentations. Before we begin, I would like to thank everyone for spending the next 45 minutes with us. If you have any questions, you can type them out anytime in the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen, and we will get to them at the end during the Q&A segment. So in today's dialogue, um, we try to answer the question, how do we engage with climate change in the arts? The impact of climate change seeps into every aspect of our lives. As the art world begins to recognize the gravity of global warming, Artists give careful thought to the conscious use of materials, importance of community engagement, methods of educating others, and visions for a sustainable future. I am pleased to be speaking to someone who has been engaging deeply and responsibly with climate change way before the pandemic began. She is Catherine Sarah Young, um, an artist, designer, and writer, originally from Manila, the Philippines, she is trained in molecular biology, fine art and interaction design, and is a recipient of the 2021 13 Artists Award in the Philippines. Today, we'll be mainly talking about the Apocalypse Project, an interdisciplinary artistic body of work initiated by Catherine um, that explores the climate crisis and our environmental futures. Hi, Catherine. Hey, good to see you. Thank you for and having me. So nice to have you here. Um, so we're just going to jump right into the first question. Cool. For audiences new to your practice, could you tell us more about the Apocalypse Project and what led you to start it in 2013? So the Apocalypse Project is a series of artworks I do about climate change. I'm exploring our environmental futures. And I started this in 2013 when I had my second art residency in Singapore. So I was an artist in residence at the Timbusu College in NUS um, and the Future Cities Lab. And they had a partnership there. And at this time, so I had come from, um, as you said in your introduction, my molecular biology, fine art and interaction yes. design background, which is a terrible combination if you have Asian parents, am I right? <laughs> anyway, I was looking for like what I wanted to do with all of these different multifaceted um, passions. But then when I was traveling the world, that was a time when climate change um, was starting to increase um, in its importance in the public or in the sense that on the same year, there was a super typhoon that hit Southern Philippines. And that's when people started to think about, okay, what is climate change and how is climate different than weather, for example. And that plus my residency with um, the Future Cities Lab where I was to, um, there with a bunch of scientists working on various sustainability topics um, 
and I thought about the series called The Apocalypse Project. The apocalypse comes from a Greek word where called apocalypsis, where or apocalyptos, where it means unlifting of the veil. So it's not really a dystopia; it's more of trying to reveal what um, was a mystery then, which was climate change. And so I started with this um, series of works called Climate Change Couture. <laughs> it's like odd fashion for a hotter planet because at that time, Singapore, it was really hot and there was like smog coming from other countries. I don't know if you remember this, but I vividly remember this also because similar things started happening in other countries as well. I remember that. <laughs> right, all of these patterns, um, because I live them, I was like, you make art with what you know. So this was the result of one of them. So I picked out a bunch of um, climate impacts um, or situations in Singapore that could resort to some form of intervention. Um, so whether using um, garbage or waste as clothes, whether you needed like a gas mask. At that time, we didn't need masks yet. Um, now we need them all the time. Um, or that place you see there called Aircon Road, but it was kind of hot. Like what happens if we have to, you know, put ourselves inside all the time and it becomes so stifling outdoors um, and things like that. And this is a series that differs per city. I try to do this in because the um, climate impacts differ per city and per country. And um, so sometimes it's so hot in one place, other times it's like the impact there is like it's super rainy. So I think to make these things relatable, I adapt them as well to like various um, places in the world that I've lived in. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, what you said about unveiling, um, it's still quite crazy to know that some people don't believe that climate change exists. Um, and I, even if people who, who do believe it exists, um, it's often seen as quite a distant phenomenon. Um, but a lot of your works, you reveal that environmental issues are very much intertwined with our daily life. Um, so could you talk about your work, um, The Sewer Sopri, created in 2016? Um, I find it very fascinating um, and why it ca uh, caused some controversy. Um, so The Sewer Sopri was something that started in 2016 when I was stuck in a flood in Manila. And what happens is because of improper race practices, not just in Manila, but also many cities around the world, where we throw these fatty wastes or like waste oils in like our sinks and they all coalesce in the sewer systems. And this means that when climate change impacts um, are such that there are super typhoons that um, are so strong that the rain they deposit in the cities cannot be um, drained properly by the sewers. So it easily floods in many cities and we call them fatbergs um, right. down there. So I was really irritated at being stuck in the flood for like an hour when I was like 10 minutes away from the house. So um, I thought I was going to make a project out of it and really understanding um, how we throw away um, waste oil. Like, for example, you're eating a salad and it's like, while you're done with it, you toss it out. Um, it's very easy to sort of put it in the, in the kitchen sink and then it's gone, right? But then if like thousands of people do that well. Yeah. So, um, soap is the salt of a fatty acid. Um, yay for my molecular biology degree. <laughs> um, yeah, everything is useful. Um, so I made soap 
based on the oil from different parts of the system. So here you see um, the ones in the center, the light colored um, cubes, it would be just regular oil. It's regular palm oil. Um, that's another environmental issue altogether, but we use that a lot for cooking oil and many other household products. The, the rightmost um, canister has um, uh, used oil. So that's oil that um, maybe you cook chicken with or something and then you save and you haven't thrown it away. And the one on the leftmost, the block, that is raw sewage that I kind of scrape from like, open sewers um, or like pipes. This is the most disgusting thing I have ever done. Um, I made sure to get a tetanus shot and did many things to make sure I'm protected. Anyway, they caused controversy only when, um, I think this was exhibited in Science Gallery in Melbourne. And I think there was someone there who was a, um, a climate change denier and, um, you know, People like this, it's like they'll troll me this week, they'll grow, troll someone else next week. It's, you know, I think misinformation is quite um, rampant. And this is something that goes with the territory. I don't feel unhappy that um, this person wrote an entire article about me and wondering about climate change and things like that. Um, so controversy aside, you know, I feel like when you anger the, the right people, it also means that you're doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and I have a pretty thick skin and um yeah I'm just okay <laughs> um, and I also use the words um like the tweets I get for mm. other projects um yeah just a gift that keeps giving what is like one nasty I don't know tweet that... uh, this person's um, there was one tweet <laughs> from the US who told me that I have a nasty habit of recruiting kids for my climate shenanigans. Oh. Um, I know, um, <laughs> how flattering. Sometimes, um, you know, I think for artists, we want to be complimented for our work, but I think there's also another side where it's really good to um, mm -hmm. sort of provoke the right ones, especially in a world filled with like misinformation, tribalism and things like this. And it's really good to just have like a very calm, like centered, like very grounded um, sense of self. So yeah, just keep going. Yeah. When we kind of do works like this, the, the minds that we do want to change are, are not exactly people who already believe um, mm. in climate exactly. change, right? So it's it's kind of good that, that you're kind of impacting people who you want to convince otherwise. Yes, and one thing about climate change is that for climate change deniers, there's a spectrum of these. They're the ones who will troll every single um, climate activist. Mm. But I also want to reach the people who are skeptical just because of what information they might have seen. And you know, I've met some really nice climate skeptics, you know, like they're, they're busy working parents who just want to go home to their kids and they work really hard. They want nothing to do with anything political. And this is the problem with climate change being politicized right. so much. And I think the arts have a very, very strong um, uh, asset in terms of being able to speak to the people as human beings mm -hmm. instead of seeing them as um, you know consumers or voters or things like that. Um, and I think it reaches out to the humanity exists in all of us whether whatever um, side of the political spectrum you're in and I think it's also one thing it's like you know we're so people are so rude to each other like to the other side 
that I would like to have a more like respectful way of like acknowledging, okay, we are in a world where misinformation exists, um, but these are inclusive ways where we can discuss things. And mm -hmm. this might not save the world today, but I think if we have this practice of discourse, then I think that's one way out of the mess that we are in. Exactly. Uh, that's that's why I, I really like um, the suicide because like something very disgusting like um, oil or the chicken oil in cooking um, and you kind of created it into a very aesthetic um, soap but soap is something so intimate right it's you, you're kind of putting opposites together because soap is something so clean um, but then um, you, you just make this uh, issue of oil uh, waste very real very like you you can't help but feel it on your skin when you see this work um, and and this brings to mind um, a sentence that you wrote on your website that I that really res resonated with me. Um, you said, to adequately prepare for the future, we must imagine it as concretely as possible. Um, I'm wondering how do your collaborations with experts, because you collaborate with so many um, different chefs, engineers, scientists, um, how do these collaborations uh, inform your artworks about speculative futures? So I love talking with a lot of scientists because I also have a science background and I think there's a specificity um, that scientists work with um, that is not in contrast to the freedom of the arts, but the way I see art and science are two sides of the same coin, but how they are practiced is quite different. You know, in art, we have to be as imaginative um, and as crazy as possible. And sometimes in science, my experience with it is that you have to be, you know, you have KPIs to meet, you have papers to, to do and stuff like that. So it's quite, um, it's a bit more rigid. Um, so working with scientists who have the data, but knowing that there is such an opportunity to be able to make the public not even because the data is out there and the public do have um, access to it. But what happens is they don't really care much just because everyone's um, pretty preoccupied with the minutia of their lives. And this is something I totally understand. So for me, um, collaborating with experts not just enhances the art just because I'm talking not just not about my feelings, but also it's grounded in data. But at the same time, because I pitch it as art, I feel like you know, you want to be able to attract people from all walks of life and not just people who are interested in data. Because sometimes yeah. we are so, um, we are drowning in data that doesn't really, you know, like the numbers don't really make sense anymore. Or if it does, then we have been numb um, into um, not really caring that much. And also with the arts, we, the strength of that is that we are challenged to innovate in terms of the new types of imagery we can put out there to the public, because I am so tired of seeing like starving polar bears that doesn't really hit as mm -hmm. strongly anymore just because we keep seeing it. So for artists, like what else can we do that will really do what I call the double take? Mm -hmm. It's like you're passing by on the street and like, okay, sure, polar bear or whatever, but then, oi, what's that? <laughs> like soap made out of what? sewers. Yeah, it's like, Ew, but also, wait, I want to know more. And that's when they stop. So, yeah, I actually feel that that's why the guy got mad just because, you know, you reel them in because they're human beings and everyone's curious. And then when he realizes about climate change, then it's like, oh my God, this artist mm -hmm. bugged me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> 
Um, one of the works that I think does this really well uh, is uh, Future Feast. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Future Feast is a collaboration with chefs to design dishes of the future. Now, this I did in 2014, and I think a lot of them, you know, they're not really avant-garde anymore um, in 2022, but it was really lovely to do that um, back in the back in the day. Um, I feel old. So for example, um, these are um, food made, made of insects. You have that, those insect or locust jello on the top right, and on the left side would be locusts with like peanuts and everything like locust crackers. Below on the right, you have a steak made out of um, worms, like vermiculture, so worm meat, because it's an easy um, protein source. Um, you have sea vegetables, nut-based um, food. And again, now they're more mainstream, I think. Um, so what I like about this is that food really brings people together. And um, it also makes people talk about these things that maybe they don't really have time to talk about, but what, if you are talking about is what you're eating, then I think it brings a discourse, um, re it really hits home or hits your gut, literally. Um, so this is probably one of my more fun projects because I love eating, so <laughs> um, this was really quite fun. But at the same time, thinking about like climate change and how some food will not be able to grow as well. Like now there's such a shortage, right? Like there's a sriracha shortage. I am like panicking as someone who loves hot sauce. I'm like, this cannot happen. So that's the thing is like, I am angered by the loss of hot sauce. And, but that's like an emotional hook, right? Now, what can, what can artists do with these emotional hooks to get people outrage enough to want to like do something change their behavior and things like that so. for sure and again like these things like looking at these food insects some people may, might feel like oh like i'll never eat that but but the fact is like maybe in the future you that's one of the only viable mm. food sources like available so, yes. so yeah again making it very real um another another thing that your your practice does um very well is to uh, you said you mentioned it a bit earlier um how you uh recognize that climate um change issues are different in different countries um so climate change is a global issue right and people relate to it differently um depending on where they live um could you talk about a work that you adapted uh to multiple cultural contexts um well Let's see, two would be like um, the Climate Change Couture project, which um, you showed earlier. So I've done this in Singapore, Manila, Colombia, and Seoul in South Korea. Um, so it's different just because sometimes the, the vernacular of fashion is also different. Like the two images on the right in the right column would be like traditional Filipino dress uh, where the butterfly sleeves and like uh, um, the bottom one is a barong Tagalog. That um, many um, men um, would wear during like weddings and things like that. So reimagining the vernacular fashion in a way um, really hits close to home again, the double take because like, well, I know this, but it has a hood or I know this, but it has like a balloon skirt. What does that mean? Yeah. So you think that you're in a mall, um, but actually you're not. Um, and it's about really thinking about what are the common objects that might change, right? Because, you know, 
how um, we all have smartphones now, but how can you explain a smartphone to someone from 1995, for example? Sure. Like, right? What, what if he time travels to to now? Like, what what would what is that? Does that feel like blocking? Yeah. yeah. So I think being able to subvert all of these common or familiar images, I think it's a way to get people to see um, climate change in their own um, perspectives. And then the second one would be, I have a project called the Ephemeral Marbles Perfume Store, mm -hmm. um, a perfume line of things um, we can use because of, uh, we can lose because of climate change. So the idea here is that smell and memory are very closely interlinked, which means that if you smell something, you might remember your childhood memories, your mom, your grandma, mm -hmm. um, you know, what you were doing at the time, a trip you went, you went to. The idea here is for, um, I like that this project embraces our diversity um, in the sense that um, we all have multiple perspectives and I think these things should be celebrated. And for example, if we smell one scent, you and I, we might be talking about different memories, but it's like, hey, we have a nice conversation about the smell of coasts, for example. And so doing this, um, I think, it's interesting when it gets people to relate to each other, even though we've never met before, maybe they live in completely different um, cities around the world, because, you know, these, these scents are common and maybe even universal. Um, but uh, yeah, there are no wrong answers. I think it's another thing too, because the challenge about climate change is that, you know, people will be like trying to outdo each other in terms of facts and things like that. Yeah. When it's like you want to like bring it back to like the core of it, which is like, the diversity of human experience that we are losing because of various climate impacts. So, yeah. No, thank you. Um, sorry, just a side note that a lot of these photographs you take of yourself are so beautiful. <laughs> just wanted oh. to put that out there. Like, um, so nice. <laughs> I'm normally very, very shy, but you have to have like a unifying thread that unites all the projects because they're quite different when it comes to form. Yes. So the only common thing there is me. So <laughs> <laughs> um, it is very, um, yeah, it's a big deal for me to be photographed because I normally don't want to, but um, yes. It, it's a good hook also because like if I see this somewhere on the street and be like, what is that about? And then I'll go and like look into it. So <laughs> yeah, I have a good photographer, an amazing makeup artist. Does all that, so. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. Back. Um, so um, one criticism of the art world, because you have so many different um, projects uh, with many, many different materials that you use. Um, one criticism is that uh, creating art inevitably creates waste. Um, that may be not the case for your work. Um, I'm wondering what are your methods for navigating this problem? Well, I mean, I do create waste if I make a mistake. <laughs> for example, um, creating like a resin sculpture if I put the wrong thing or for some reason the resin doesn't cure well, that's um, a screw up. I cannot exhibit that. So I do make waste, but I also store all the waste. Um, and one thing though, I think, coming from a very scientific background and also doing a PhD right now where you're trained to be very analytical and very exacting. Um, it's not like I drew 1000 things and only exhibited five or that five was the only one useful for, for the art. It's more of, I really like sketch out everything, like all of that and be very decisive. Okay, this is it. And then I make 
and doing that um, makes me reduce my own waste mm -hmm. and, it's, and also in relation to that as a person not as an artist I also try to reduce my own personal waste I think once that becomes like ingrained in your lifestyle you know whether I'm making art or whether I'm going to the grocery I really will um, try to make better choices so I think um, in terms of the art world making waste you know turn the waste into art like for example um, when I make um, the the, the bushfire hearts. Um, the, my first term here in Australia was in September of 2019, where soon after we had the worst bushfire crisis in history, and there was lots of ash around. So I had a bunch of ash, and I'm like, I can turn this into something. So um, I think using the materials that are around you, using waste into art, and maybe in a way you're kind of upgrading or upcycling the waste, uh, just because the big they become these totems of like mm -hmm. human behavior and climate change. I think it's also quite um, fun for me. And I think exploring the world in a material way, um, I think it's fascinating for an artist. It's also what I'm doing for my PhD. So it's like one project hits many things. So. For sure. Yeah, and, and with the weighing of the heart, you are kind of immortalizing that this happens, um, yes. right? And so people don't forget. Because uh, a lot of yes. a lot of times we see the news all about I don't know the haze in Singapore, and then after a few months, it's like it never happened. So yeah, and <laughs> here as well actually, because um, you know like after the bushfires, and we have to talk about something else. Like um, COVID happened, that's mm -hmm. a big deal. <laughs> and I think once um, that happens, there is a chance that we totally forget, and human memory is quite fallible. And being able to sort of arrest the metabolism of these hearts back into the soil, right? Because you can forget that um, many um, uh, landscapes are regenerating because of, um, you know, some, some plants actually need fire to complete their life cycle. It's just that in this case, um, the, the fires were so uncontrolled and really um, decimated a lot of land. So yes, I think in terms of waste, you know, I right now the art that I make are the are the works that I feel are the most urgent yes um and I think yeah because I would like to contribute to the discussion in a way that I find more constructive because I like being quiet you know what I mean I'm talking I'm like talking to uh, in a conference but like normally I'm just like quiet so and it's hard to you know having to parse like all the negativity in the world right now how can you make something beautiful but also in a way that will contribute to all of these discussions yes no for sure um my next question is going to be something to do with discussion or conversation as you just said um but i'm just going to remind everyone um watching that if you have a question uh feel free to put it in the q a box or the chat box which uh people have been commenting so i'm just going to read a few um People say that your images are actually very beautiful. Just gonna reiterate that. <laughs> very high fashion and editorial. Um, uh, and also, uh, Carol agrees that um, if you anger the right people, you're doing the right thing. So just a little motivation there. Um, okay, I'm gonna ask my last question before Q&A. Um, so you conducted many olfactory and climate change art workshops uh, with children and adults across the globe. I'm curious, what was the most surprising or illuminating lesson that you gained from your participants? Because it's all about exchange, right? Mm -hmm. 
This is when they told me I was doing lots of shenanigans with kids. Oh, <laughs> like, <sorry>. okay. <laughs> um, a surprising lesson. Um, I think that kids especially have a lot to say. And some of their reflections are very poignant, um, which strikes me because when I was their age, I didn't have to think about those things. Um, and I think the younger kids are, the more problems there are in the world, especially with how everything seemed to have accumulated in 2022. <laughs> um, and I think I love the idea of being able to engage um, children and adults. There's a lot of intergenerational exchange that could be done because I feel like a lot of the kids are not okay nowadays like in terms of mental health issues and things like that. And I can't really blame them. So I think being able to um, remove the boundaries and the walls that surround us and being able to make all of these bridges towards each other, of course, in a safe way. Um, I think this is a, one opportunity we have today and um, in the future to be able to keep creating these creative spaces for um, children and adults to be able to parse out all of these very new feelings that we've been having, right? There's a, that grief we had when, for example, when the lockdowns happened and we couldn't see our friends and we had to adapt. There is the grief that we have when it comes to seeing um, maybe our childhood places get decimated by bushfires and um, wildfires and things like that. So when things are changing, I think these are very new emotions that the arts have a great, really good opportunity to um, to look at. Um, unfortunately, the arts have, um, you know, when there's a crisis, it's usually the, the artist who received the, whose funding gets cut. Yeah. And um, I think this is a problem but at the same time, you know, when you're having like a breakup or like some big personal crisis, um, we always turn to the arts first, right? You always think about like our favorite song or watch a movie and things like that. And I think um, we also need to prioritize um, our creative outputs and know that this is essential for society's flourishing. For sure. Um, what you said reminded me uh, of a, a, another conversation I had with an art therapist called um, Emilia Safian in uh, check-in. Uh, and it's interesting because in art therapy or in therapy in general, like there's a new thing that you have to think about in therapy um, with kids, especially it's like climate anxiety that seeps into other forms of anxiety, like you just said, because um, it's not just climate anxiety. It's like, very like heartbreak or as you said my home is lost you know yes like it seeps into many different types of like fears um yep yeah yeah uh, okay so thank you for the discussion such uh engaging conversation so far i'll now ask uh, questions from the audience we have one from jason gunn so this goes back to climate change couture um and i think the interdisciplinary aspect of your work so he asks, what do you feel about the impact of the fashion industry uh, on climate change, uh, especially given that about 10% of global GHG emissions and, and an even larger percent of wastewater comes from the industry? Is there any way we can reduce this, um, especially in Southeast Asia? Mm. Yeah. Or perhaps um, how you 
deal with fashion in your daily life, maybe? Um, I try to keep my belongings as few as possible. This does not mean I have stopped shopping altogether because sometimes when it's super cold now, well, I need to get another jacket and that's just what I need today. Um, however, I do like to hang on to clothes. Like I try to invest in pieces I know I want to um, keep forever. Um, sometimes I buy secondhand clothes um, and uh, I also know how to repair my own clothes. So I think like we need to upskill like, like life skills should include like being able to sew a button or being able to use a sewing machine and things like that. And these are probably things we would, you know, we should be able to teach um, kids um, how to be um, sustaining instead of like, you know, if something breaks, we'll, we throw it away. So being able to have a sustaining culture instead of a throwaway culture, I think that's one, that's one way. Also being, having to, um, or choosing to support brands that are um, sustainable instead of um, fast fashion, that's also a thing. Um, yeah, I think there are many ways um, to do this and also many, um, a lot of research and artists and designers who have made fashion their um, sort of niche. Um, but yeah, this is how I personally do it. I try, I just try not to buy stuff. Sometimes shopping is such a pain in the butt. <laughs> Stop it altogether, you know? <laughs> yeah, isn't yeah. it better to have like a few clothes that you will know you feel good in every day? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so how, yeah, I have um, lots of clothes that are older than my little cousins who are like 12 years old, for example. So, <laughs> yeah, um, the, I think the old, you know, if, if you're like 70 years old and you can say that, oh, I have this scarf I've been wearing forever and it's like my scarf, I think that's really nice. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, this, the person who asked the question, Jason, says, thank you. Um, any su suggestions for sustainable fashion brands? I mean, just... Ooh, this is tricky um, just because sometimes they have sustainable work practices now and then next year they won't. So I would say there are databases that um, do a regular check check in hi um, <laughs> of of um, brands that are um, being sustainable. And sustainability isn't just about whether the materials are okay or it's also like labor practices, right? Um, and adaptations of brands are um, you know you have to think about that too in the context of the pandemic when supply chains are kind of bust, uh, like busted. Like where where do they resource things now? So I would say, yeah, go to um, these databases who really um, check those. And there's quite a lot. I think per country, um, they have a favorite or there's a predominant like app they use and things like right. that. So yeah. oh, that's so really I'm, good advice. Yeah. yeah, so I would say um, for myself, I'm, I try not to be like sanctimonious and say, you should buy this, you should buy that. Just because number one, the information is always changing um, through time. Yeah. And I think more importantly, I know we have like, our own opinions and own judgments on whether on what to eat, what to wear. But I think what's more important being able to change our minds when given new information, yeah. right? So I think that um, openness to change and being able to speak about, um, you know, what you care about or what you're concerned with other people, um, I think it's also a skill that's um, as important as knowing how to sew a button. For sure. Yeah. yeah, I think it's uh, doing our own research and like being adaptable is always like yep. a plus in every aspect yeah. of it. Um, or shopping at bundle places, uh, as Carol <laughs> Chung would suggest in the comments. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask another question by Ian T. 
how do you approach your collaborators? Um, do they tend to be uh, introductions through your academic context? Um, I think when I was starting out as an artist, I had to be sort of an official artist in residence or, you know, I had to be like a Fulbright scholar on this. It's like there's, it's, people will email you back if they think you, you know, you're legit. Um, it's kind of the, the, the quick and dirty way to say it. <laughs> um, I will say though, if you've had, um, you know, the more you build your portfolio and everything, the more, um, and you put everything on a, a portfolio website, at least people know, you know, when you Google, when um, you Google an artist, you, you know, things should come up, right? That's what she does and things like that. So at least if you're like me, who likes to be quiet and, you know, it's really hard for me to like talk to like a, why a super big group of people. Um, I, most of that discussion has been sort of done if they look at your website and see what you're doing. Um, so if you send them a nice email saying, um, I would like to approach you for this, um, and I've done this with other people, so you know the type of work that I do. Um, I think the key here to approach collaborations, especially in a, in a very busy world, is to make sure you um, we don't waste anyone's time. And also to know how to take rejections. Like if they don't email me back, I'm not gonna like cry or anything. It's just okay, you're busy, I get it, maybe another time. Um, so, um, and also have like a lot of options. So it's not like I'm approaching one person. If that collaboration falls through, then what do I do? So it's like, no, right. have like a wide network um, and, and always, yeah, know a lot of people. Right, right. Now that's that's really good advice and i'm thinking about how fast you reply our emails i'm just gonna it's really no it's really like helpful for any collaboration that things can move forward so so quickly um and people want to work with you i imagine um so i'm gonna ask uh what do you think uh, a last question um that i'm gonna merge two questions together um how are you thinking further about your engagement with climate change in your practice um in terms of what projects do you have um, in the works for the future? Um, and someone else also asked when and well, when and where will your next exhibition in Singapore, Malaysia be? They would love to attend. So kind of future-based questions, yeah. Okay. Um, in terms of the first one, uh, like other projects, so my practice is currently expanding to more like planetary practice. I'm working a bunch of projects about Mars. Um, and I think this is fun and also terrifying a little bit just because we want Mars to be our planet B, right? And everyone wants to like colonize or terraform the red planet. I think um, there's a danger that we repeat the mistakes there that we're doing here and just like forget Earth while we have another um, thing anyway. So I am looking at the eco-poetics um, about uh, Mars, thinking about, well, thinking about the smell of rain on Mars. Um, potential rain, because I think rain, the scent of rain, or my PhD is about petrichor, which is the smell of a wet earth when it rains. And I think it's a very universal human scent. And I'm thinking, well, if that's on Mars too, it can connect the humans on earth with the humans on Mars. Your mind is where common humanity. Um, things like that. And also comparing um, Martian landscapes here on Earth or Martian-like landscapes. I was in the outback recently here in Australia. I'm in Sydney, by the way. And um, looking at, yeah, it's like how dry the deserts can be and like, can we really live in a place like this? You know, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, my next exhibition will be, um, I have a quick gig in, in Berlin and also in Copenhagen 
So Europe for now, but I would love to um, exhibit in Singapore and Malaysia um, at some point, just because I do miss, um, you know, my friends there. Um, I had a really productive residency. I miss your food. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I'll keep you all posted. Um, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. So, and I always um, post about my next um, chapters. Okay. Thank you so much. I think that's a good um, note to end on. Um, so thank you to uh, all our audiences for the engaging questions and comments. Um, and thank you so much, Catherine, uh, for the conversation. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah. And if you would like to catch um, any other panel discussions that we have in Lending 2022, um, please visit artemarket.net slash lending dash 2022. Um, you can see on screen the remaining talks that we have. Uh, in about half an hour, we have a talk about our new uh, Art and Market website as a fresh look. Um, and tomorrow at Tanjung Paga District Park, we have a launch of Check-In 2022, where Catherine has written her article and also uh, a roundtable on our writing processes. So let me move on to my next slide. Um, so landing, this conference uh, continues conversations from our annual publication Check-In on screen now. Um, and the e-version is free for all to read on artandmarket.net slash check-in-2022. There is also a print run of the book. Um, we would greatly appreciate it if you would consider purchasing a physical copy. You can use the discount code CHECKIN15 for 15% off, and this is valid for about a week till 7 July 2022. Proceeds would go towards programming at Art and Market, um, such as the dialogue you have attended today. So thank you everyone um, and see you soon.